notes and says, oh, I know this one, I know this one. Yes. How many watch, you know, TV shows where the first thing that comes up is previously on. So tonight I want to give you a quick previously leading up to what we're doing and uh, just remind you of a couple things, especially as we talk about the trumpets, because once we round that off and then skip over, we're going to be getting into the two witnesses tonight. And then next week, you know, hold, the, get seatbelts. We're going to be talking about the woman and the beast. This is where we begin to get into some very, really neat things. But as we get into them, remember, there is no chronolo chronological. Tom, help me out. What was that? You bet. In the book of Revelations, what you have here is principle. Chronology. Man, it's just one of them words that, that, that if you want to get me on a word, you just found it. <laughs> Anyways, you, I want to remind you that what we deal with in Revelations is principles. And, and I'm, I'm hitting these bullet points very quickly so we can get into the study. But the only specific time is that each vision moves toward is the grand finale, the judgment of God, and the coming of Christ. I mean, some people, you don't believe this, you don't believe that. Look, there's only one thing we need to remember and that is Christ is coming back for his bride. You're talking about a grand finale. And that's huge. So th th that is so, uh, again, that's the specific time that each vision moves towards. You've got, you, you've got the, 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 the beginning of the birth of Christ. So many times it's assumed in there, but you move right through that to the grand finale. And as we're working through this, well, we'll get into that get off on squirrel again but there are principles that occur during the period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming and that's what we're focusing in on when it comes to visions principles what what are the principles in here what's happening as a result of man saying no man rejecting nations so forth and on you see it repeated in history it's all over the place but again, these are not, these are not, how shall I say this? They're, they're, they're not chronological. See, I can say that if it's uh, logical on the end of it. It's not chronological. It doesn't happen, you know, right in order. These are things, they run parallel. Every vision runs parallel. They're all the same timeline. So what you're seeing is a different vision, different take, on each of these parallels as we walk through them. And with that, let me say this. We come now as we've gone through the first vision, the second vision. Now we hit the third vision, which is what we've been talking about with the trumpets. And we want to remind you that as a result of what we've been talking about, trumpets blow, and as a result of those trumpets, men face God. Now we broke the trumpets down into four and three, which again, we talk about, uh, you know, for the church, and then the last three, I think, are the key ones that we're going to be focusing in on as well, and that's the woes. So let's remind us what trumpets mean, what trumpets symbolize here, and that is that the trumpet of, the, the, the trumpet of God that sounded at Mount Sinai called all men to do what? 
hear what God was saying. So when there's trumpets in the ears, it's hearing what God is saying, period. Now, the reason the trumpet called, it called them to view the law. Now, right away, I get, I, I get really, I don't want to say this. Some people, when they come to the law, when believers come to the law, they have this tendency to look at it as, don't do this, don't do that. Thou shalt not. And you've heard me talk about this forever. When does anything become a thou shalt not? When you want to do it. You know, if I want to kill somebody, well, then it becomes a thou shalt not kill. Right? You follow what I'm saying? I, I'm just, I'm integrating that because the truth is Christ became the fulfillment of that law. So the trumpet called them to view the law. Now, if I take that in the, oh, man. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be quick on this because I could spend hours on this stuff. But when you take a look at Christ becoming the fulfillment, Romans 8, man, that's just a huge, huge chapter that you take a look at Christ becoming the fulfillment. And in that fulfillment of law, the law literally is the loves of God. You know, what we've done is, is the love of God comes in that candy wrapper. What we've done is we've unwrapped the candy, thrown the candy out, and eaten the wrapper instead. So what we've done is we've produced all these images, ways of keeping the law. The law is God's love. And, and, and that's for another time, another message, but that love, it changes everything. And that love is not something he has, it's who he is. So, so anyways, but, but let's go on, because the trumpets were associated with the holiness of God, calling men to repent and understand that God will not hold back his judgment forever. Another aspect of the trumpet is the sound of the trumpet announced to all who heard it, the king has been crowned. We talked about that. You might not hear it. Well, take a look at the next slide. The trumpet blew so that all those could understand what they could not see. And you're going to get hear the whispers and the echoes that the Holy Spirit is real. You know, when, 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 when you talk about hearing, you know, it, when, when you talk about that trumpet sounding and, and the trumpet blowing in their ears, I mean, the Holy Spirit kind of convicts. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to get off on the things again. Follow with me because I'm, I'm just going through this. You know, we talked about it last week, so want to get into this week. But when the trumpets sounded, all were called to worship God. When that horn went, man, you're talking about all, and, and they were called to repent by the sound of the trumpet. Big, huge. <laughs> so, again, let me just remind you that all these things do not happen chronologically. I, I can do the big word. All these things do not happen chronologically. So what we came up against was that reality that the very last verse of chapter 9 says this, and they did not repent of their murderers, nor did their sorcerers, 
nor did their immorality, nor of their hearts. They did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. That, that's one. I got a message about that. Did I say hearts, didn't I? I don't know why. It's, I got it. But thefts there. This could be an interesting night. But what I'm saying here is there was no repentance. After these six trumpets, there is no repentance. They would not repent. But I love what God does there. He's done this throughout. It, 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 God says, hold everything. It's all about the end. It's all about to come down. It's all about to be released. We, we take a look at chapter 10 there, and it's full of a bunch of stuff. And then he says, don't write it down. Just eat it. We'll get into that later on, as you'll see. We'll talk about that later on. But, but the end thing is, you know, just as, the, as, as, as we're about to hear the, the, the blow of the seventh trumpet, we will have moved right through the vision. Then God says, hold everything. We're going to have a parenthesis. And, do, and again, you know, we go back and, and you remember the same thing happened with the seals. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, and God said, hold everything. What, what, what was the hold everything? I mean, the hold everything was really to bring about the understanding of the question, what happened to the church? Where's the church? And, 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 and it really, I mean, when you start thinking about it, going through all that, there's still a church left. The parenthesis of the seals was chapter 7. And God said, I'll show you what happened to the church. I sealed the church. I sealed them. And you remember we talked about this. Nobody can touch them. I have got my perfect, my complete church. You realize what I'm saying right now? As we have talked about that. Now we, we, what we have here is one, two, three, four, five, six trumpets. And someone says again, what about the church? You mean all that's going on? The power of hell is raging against the church. What's happened to the church? God says, stop. I will show you, he says. But first of all, John, come up here, okay? And, 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 and let me just say this. Well, take a look at it in, in, in verse 11 and, and 1. It says, then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Now, keep a view on those things right there, especially the end of it, because what we are in right now is the parenthesis. This is the parenthesis within the trumpets. A parenthesis is like that, 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 that addition to what's being said. And, and so now he said, here, here's a measuring rod. And I mean, look, you know, he wants, suddenly on the great stage, as we've talked about, of that great play, that, that New York Broadway extravaganza that he's been watching, John was watching, God says, come up on the stage, walk up here, come on, and, and John walks out, 
onto that stage, and he's got a ruler in his hand. God says, now, measure the sanctuary. Measure the sanctuary. There is a great temple. I think most of you know what I mean when I talk about the temple and, and, and the sanctuary. The temple was the great thing itself. And, and it had courts and it had an outer court and the court of the Gentiles, the massive courts of the temple. It was a, it was a huge thing. The sanctuary was that right, right in the center, right, right in the center where the Holy of Holies was among the holy place. That was special. That was the sanctuary. The Greek word that we've shared about this and for, for, you know, as far as describing it to you guys, is the word naos. Naos means the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, it was called Mount Zion. It was the innermost part where the glory of God was. That was the naos. You follow what I'm saying so far? Okay. Now, John, he says, you know, I, I, I want you to walk right over there into the vision, and I want you to measure off the sanctuary that is separated. Now, take special note, John, the altar's there. And which altar was that? It was the golden altar of worship where incense would rise to God. So, John, he says, I want you to notice the worshipers that are in there. Mark them off. Mark them off. What about all the rest of the courts? Don't worry about that. Leave it. That's left to the world. All those forces which were pouring over the river Euphrates that we talked about last week, that is all the anti-Christian forces, the world powers, the anti-Christ. It says that they marched onto the general temple grounds and they were allowed to trample it down. The temple belonged to them, it seemed. But wherever John measured, they could not go in there. You see that? God said, that is my naos. You can't go in there. I hope you get the picture. They're all out here, the outer court, everything else. But inside, in the sanctuary where the presence of God, the holy of holies, the worshipers, the golden. He says, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. So what does it mean? Well, first of all, I'll say to you very simply, and I, I don't, I, I just, this, this statement bothers me to have to even say it. If the church is not as big as it looks, the church is not as big as she looks. The temple looked very big. God said, the world can have it. They are called by the name of God, but they are not of God. It is only the naos, he says. It's only the sanctuary. That, that's the real church. And you'll note in other parts of the scripture, the New Testament, that all those that are born again are called by the name of the sanctuary. Have you ever noticed that? Do, do we remember that Paul addressed the Corinthians in both 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. You won't see that up there. I'm not giving that one to you. You ought to just write it down. 1 Corinthians 3. You know it. As well as 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. Let me remind you what they say. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? Temple of the Holy Spirit. Hello? The word temple there. Look it up. It is the word naos, which is the word for sanctuary. He says, hey, you Christians, they're, they're in Corinth. Don't you know who you are? You are the sanctuary where God lives. You are the dwelling place of God. That is who you are. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 says the same thing, that we are being built together a holy temple, which is naos, a holy naos, a habitation of God by the Spirit. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you look like a temple to me. That's better than turn, now turn to your other neighbor and say, you look like a naos, boy. <laughs> Understand what it's saying. You're a container. That's what you were created for. That the, the contain. Oh, mm, this is who you are. In the Old Testament days, God pleased to have His presence be known, felt, and seen in the sanctuary. When Christ rose again from the dead. There is now a new sanctuary where God is pleased to make his presence known. And Peter said it's made of living stones. People who have been vitally united, joined to the living Jesus. Now we are the sanctuary of God, somebody. Help me understand this. I mean, God says in the vision... Mark off the sanctuary. The world cannot touch that. Let all the forces come. They can't touch that. I know you're thinking the same song I am. Can't touch that. Can't touch that. Sad, isn't it? What did you have for dinner, Pastor? I haven't. That's why I'm doing this. There, there are a whole lot of others who are called, my friend, by the name of the church. They're called by the name. There are millions of others because the courts of the temple were much bigger than the sanctuary. And so most of the temple was trampled down by the world. Most of it. Let's face it. Most of what is called by the name of church is not church. Drives me crazy. But the mentality of church is to do things to get the people in. I'd rather we be doing things to know his presence in. And and that that's I mean, this is a solemn thing to think about when you get right down to it. That the church is is, you know, what, what, what's called by the name of the church is not the church. That that was trampled on by the world. That was invaded, possessed by the world says division here, and that is a part 
of the culture church, which welcomes the world in and, and, and the ways of the world in. It dilutes and compromises the message. It, it, it takes away the, the purity of God by allowing the things from the pit of hell to come in, and it looks right. And professing to be wise, they become And look, any so-called church, I mean, how do you find out if it is really naos or just temple? Now I got your attention. Notice that John was told to look very carefully when he measured off the naos. He was told to look at the altar of worshipers. The altar, that was the golden altar again, where incense of worship was constantly ascending to God. Worshippers would cluster around that, all worshiping God. Following it? You don't know whether a man is in the naos by the fact that he goes to church. You know he is in the naos because of the living relationship between his spirit and God. And worship flows from him to God. It is worship, says this vision, that tells you where a man stands. It's worship that flows. That we're talking, that's the nail. That company of worshiping people who have been born again of the Spirit of God and are flowing unto God, that company cannot be touched. But many others who named the name of God and who named the name of Christ, however, they aren't in the temple. They have been invaded by the world and they have welcomed the world. They are trampled by the world. These are solemn words. I don't care how you look at it, how you paint the picture. These are solemn words words that the, that the so-called church is trampled by. Do, do you remember in the Old Testament when David, as he was coming up to Jerusalem with the ark, remember that? Do you remember that, that story? I mean, he, he got so excited, he got so thrilled, and, then, and that, that he actually danced and leaped and praised God and spun around in the air. I know you can picture yourself doing that, can't you? And he sang songs. I mean, do you, do you remember when he got home that night? Who was waiting for him with a look that could kill a dead dog kind of thing? It was his wife, Michael. She said, you have made a fool of yourself acting like a beggar. Now, what has gone wrong with Michael? I mean, she was raised in, in the covenant community. She could discuss God as well as anybody as far as that was concerned. What has suddenly threatened her? Listen, she was threatened by the sight of a man praising God. That really scares me. I've, I've seen that in people. When somebody really gets into praising God, it makes 
non-neos, uncomfortable, judgmental. And words like, that's not God, come out. That's dangerous territory. Anybody can talk about God. But let a man praise him as if God's really there and the temple gets upset. Worship reduced King David to the level of a commoner. Because peasants praised God and David had to put off his kingly robes to praise God. Praise reduces a man to become a creature before God. There's no hierarchy. There are no royal robes on. There's only praise, only worship. God said, if you want to find the naos, find the people who worship God and know that he's really there and you are reduced to the level of a creature, hopelessly dependent on the grace of God. When you find that, you have found the church. That church cannot be touched. It is sounded. Sounded. It is surrounded. Try to say chronologian. It's, it's surrounded by the false church. The naos is surrounded by the false church. Immediately surrounded by the false church. That is the temple area. And out there in the world, friend, the city, which we are going to see in a little bit, is that's called Sodom, Egypt, and Jerusalem. We are surrounded on all sides, but you cannot be touched. Cannot, cannot, cannot be touched. You have been Measured off. Hmm. However, don't you always love it when people put in the howevers? There is another aspect to the church. If I look at the church as worshiping naos, the sanctuary, I don't, I don't really care come hell or, or persecution. It can't be touched. But there is a side of the church that can be touched. And so the vision suddenly changes. And in chapter 11, we have two witnesses. Now, I just want to say, bless your hearts. I've heard more about these two witnesses, and I think we know more about these two witnesses than the FBI knows about the 10 most wanted. But I want to remind you that if this is a book of symbols then obviously, whatever it means, it does not mean two witnesses. Uh, talking about two men. Two witnesses is a symbol. Understand that right up front. It's the same theme all the way through. It's that key that brings us through this. The two witnesses, they're a symbol. To witness is an idea. And the Bible makes that very plain to me. I'll say this again. Once you understand that the Bible interprets the Bible, then what you got is the keys are hanging up all over the place just waiting to be taken off the hook. Look, 
I mean, look at these two witnesses, the symbol. Put it together. Look at it as, as one symbol, okay? Two witnesses who prophesied. They are dressed in sackcloth. Fire comes from their mouth. And they, they, they have power to shut the sky, turn water to blood, and to strike the earth with plagues. And they are called the two olive trees, two lamps that stand before the Lord of all the earth. I don't, I don't, the symbolism here really is simple. Do, do you know that this is probably one of the simplest visions of, of the book that we're looking at? Two witnesses. Think about it. All the way back in Deuteronomy, it begins to talk about that. For the scripture, it's not something new. It says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. That is, no testimony is valid until it has been confirmed in the mouth of at least two witnesses. So two witnesses is a shorthand symbol for saying a perfect and complete testimony of truth. Hello, somebody. Do you get that? It is shorthand for saying a perfect and complete testimony. Okay, two witnesses is a symbol. It is, it is not two witnesses individual. It is a symbol. It is an idea. It is shorthand, and it says two witnesses means the perfect, complete testimony of, to the truth. The church is not only a worshiping community. The church is the perfect witness of God to truth on the streets of this world, friend. You can't touch the worshiping community, but you can touch its public witness. That is why the two witnesses are killed. Now, walk with me through this. You're going to get what I'm talking about. If, if, if you look at the church in one aspect, it's the sanctuary. All the powers of the world cannot touch it. There is a tremendous church that continues today in China. You, you can't touch the naos, the sanctuary. For example, I mean, I can go into so many communist countries right now and in so many Buddhist and Hindu and other. The, the church is strong. It's as strong today as it has ever been. But they sure have done a job on the two witnesses. I hope you follow what I'm saying because the public testimony of the church in China is silenced. There is no public testimony. The, 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 the testimony is silenced, but the church isn't. Chew, 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 chew. Amazing. Have you tried to know have you ever noticed how the public testimony of the church in America is being silenced. You don't dare talk about certain things. Oh, you don't say 
at a prayer at a public stadium in Jesus' name. Oh, <laughs> no way. And please don't say, and I'm just on the simple things. We're not talking woke. We're not talking all the other things. I mean, heaven forbid that somebody stand up for Christian values today. I mean, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not wanting to be on a political soapbox. But if I stand up and say, I don't agree with abortion, I'm a target. And, and you know what's been happening. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just trying to say the public testimony of the church in many countries is super silenced. And it's getting that way here. Now, I shouldn't say that, but I said that. So, again, I know I shouldn't have, uh, but I, I, I did. But following this through, who is the church at witness? It says they prophesied. What, what, what's prophecy? Prophecy, my friend, is to speak on behalf of God. It's not to foretell the future. Okay? It is to speak forth on behalf of God. It's a word of wisdom that foretells the future. Okay? Uh, that's for another message when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and so the gift of the, I'm sorry, the nine gifts. But the prophecy, I'm sorry, to prophesy is to speak forth on behalf of God. So here is the church. Okay, And it's perfect witness speaking forth on behalf of God. And it goes on and says that they're dressed in sackcloth. <laughs> if you take a simple reading of the Old Testament, you will, it'll tell you very quickly that wherever a person is, 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 is repented in the Old Testament, they always wore sackcloth. Remember that? I just want to check in, okay? So here is the church, and it stands, it stands in its public witness before the world, and it does so in repentance over against the world that is very unrepentive, a world that has heard the trumpets. It is hearing the trumpets and refuses to repent, standing in the midst of that unrepentant world is a church whose very lifestyle says we have repented. We have yielded to God. We have responded to him. And we are now speaking forth on his behalf. Hello. Now, now notice that it says that they're doing that tormented the people that were on the earth. You speak the truth, you, you speak on behalf of God, you're tormented. And, 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 and I'll say it again. It says that they're doing what they're doing, tormented the people who are, on, on one hand, the world itself is tormenting the world. The hordes of demons that men wanted in the first place, and they got what they wanted, if you remember what we said, are tormenting men. Sit down among them, a church whose very lifestyle says, We have repented of sin. 
and we now speak forth on behalf of God. That torments men as well. You know what it's like. You know what it's like to come up to somebody or, or be about somebody where they're just, I mean, you speak the name of God, and it's like something just arose out from the pit of hell. It says fire came out of their mouth. I'm thinking back about the torment. And, and I, I'll just say it from this, and that is that the people that are tormented by truth, they are tormented by lies of this world and by the pits of hell. And they still will not repent. Again, it says fire comes out of the mouth. The word of God is like a flame that consumes the enemy. And that's an idea that runs throughout the Old Testament. You, you, you will also find that they were able to shut the sky. Who shut the sky in the Old Testament? Elijah did. Oh, I'm sorry, Elisha did. Elijah. I'm doing a message on Elisha. That's, that'll be Sunday. That's where I'm at. You never do that, though, do you? You call Elijah, Elisha, and Elisha, Elijah? Like go, growing up in my house, my brother's name is Larry, and I'm Gary, so I was called Legary, and he was called Galeri. Weird house, I'm telling you. But yes, it, 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 was, it, it was Elijah. And, and so what does that mean? That's, that's the thing I'm bringing up. It, does that one mean that one of these guys is Elijah? No. That is telling us that as Elijah stood in a world that had rebelled against God and refused to repent, as Elijah stood in the midst of that world, he was a man who was the very incarnation of repentance. And he spoke forth on behalf of God, and he was able to prove his words by works. So the church stands in a similar world with similar power and can prove what they say. The church, the whole church, all of you here is, is, is you're in a, turn to your neighbor and say, you and Elijah. That's who you are. In the middle of this world, you are an Elijah. Do you follow what I'm saying? I want to make sure that you're grabbing what I'm saying before I go on because I can say it two or three different times a different way. But it also tells us that they are able to turn water into blood. Who did that? Mm -hmm. Does that mean to say that the other one is Moses? <laughs> it means that another way of looking at the church is that as Moses stood with a congregation of people who didn't half believe him, let's be real, against a world, a world government that hated him and his God. And Moses stood there, the testimony, the truth, in the middle of lies. Even so, as now the church stands, the perfect testimony to truth in the middle of a world that is set against God. It says, these are the two olive trees that stand before God in all the earth. Do you know where that comes from? Any echo, echo, echo? Listen, have you ever 
read Zechariah. Zechariah in chapter 4. Do you remember these words? It says, Behold, a lampstand of all gold with a bowl on top of it. Remember, seven lamps as two olive trees by it. One on the right side of uh, I've got it up here. See and behold, lampstand all with gold bowls, top of it, and seven lamps with it, and seven spouts, sprouts, spout. Oh, I'm already angry is what I'm at. And, and, and seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it, also two olive trees by it. One on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side. Wow. We have already talked about the seven-branched candlestick. That is the church. The church. How? The church in its mystical union to Jesus. Standing right beside it is another symbol, two olive trees, which stand before the Lord of all the earth. The church in all its power and witness. He goes on to say, this is the word of the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is all together. He sees the, 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 the candlesticks and he, he, the palm trees, and then he goes on to say, this is the word of the Lord, that not by my... And it says, you are... What, I'm sorry, what are you, O great mountain? What are you? This, this mountain stands before. It says here that it's got to go. It's got to go, for there stands here the perfect witness of God that speaks with all the power of God, and none can resist it. I'm, I'm not kidding when I say to you, you do really good to study Zechariah chapter 4 and realize that it is telling us here that these men who are the symbols of the church, that the church which is able to stand in the middle of this world, that world, and speaks with power is one that is receiving the oil of the Holy Spirit, helpless in itself, totally dependent upon the Lord, speaking forth on His behalf. Man. We used to sing an old song, old hymn. Tis the glorious church without a spot or wrinkle. Washed in the, or as we used to say down south, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Did you hear what it's saying? Do you hear what this is saying? I'm sorry, friend, but we are not seeing a powerful church, church, because the church is not as big as it seems. Too many are part of that outer court where the world is infiltrated. They'd rather focus on the color of the church. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going, mm. now forget that. I'm, I'm here to teach you, not, not editorialize. I, ju I just I get frustrated at the heart of what people would call church when the true church is a witness, is a, is, is, is a conduit in that sense. And, 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 and totally dependent upon him, speaking forth on, on his behalf. Now it says, there is a beast. 
And no, I'm not talking about Tom Combs, okay? <laughs> You've not met the beast yet. And he comes on stage in the next scene, which we'll definitely be doing. He, he's just put in here because, remember, as we're going along, we have nearly come to the end of this vision. We, we, we double back to the beginning again and discover who is the beast. But the beast, let me anticipate. I'll tell you who the beast is. The beast is world power. And I'll explain that later. But the world power puts the two witnesses to death. Think about that. Government, church, beast, two witnesses. It describes the city where they were put to death as Sodom. Uh, mystically, it, 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 it doesn't say it is Sodom, but this is what it is called to let you know what it is. What was Sodom? Well, Sodom, <laughs> nasty place. You want to talk about some place that's full of all manners of sexual perversion? What was Egypt? Egypt was the great power government. It says also the city where they crucified the Lord. That was Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem stand for in the Bible? Well, there are two Jerusalems in the New Testament. One is the Jerusalem where they crucified Jesus, which is the Jerusalem in the Middle East today. And the other is always called the Jerusalem which is above, or the New Jerusalem. The one below where they crucified the Lord, it's always termed as an apostate religion. Who, who, who put the public witness of the church to death? All the lust and greed for immorality, government power, and apostate religion. Oh, hello. For they all in the same, they're basically in the same kit and caboodle, if you want to know the truth. They are all one together, and they put the church to death. And they have a merry time rejoicing because of it. The church is still there. You can't touch the naos. But its public witness to truth has been silenced. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can understand a lot of things that are happening across the world today in, in light of that, to be honest with you. Elijah thought that when the public witness of the church was put to death, then the church was finished. It was all over. And he goes into this depression. And, and I mean, and you know what he thought. He said, you remember when he cried, there's nobody left but me, Lord. It's just me and me alone. And the Lord said, really? Really? Elijah thought he was the only remaining public witness. And now he has been silenced by Jezebel. So he said, it's all over. It's done. If the church can't talk, then we're finished. And God said, no, not, not at all. I shall have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. No one has touched the naos. No one can. You can look across the world. You say, where is the church in this country? 
Where is the church in that country? Doing very well, doing very nice. Thank you very much. There's nothing wrong with the church there at all. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it is probably stronger than the church in America in some cases. Its voice may be silent or silent, but the two witnesses are lying in the street. However, God treats the church the same way he treated Jesus. And it says that they were raised again. Of course, the church, whenever it is persecuted, certainly lives in the mighty power of the resurrection. That's why I say that the church in a suppressed country is probably stronger than the one here. Let <laughs> mm. somebody try and check. Mm, I'm not no squirreling. Yeah, no, no. I got to finish up here, otherwise you're gonna you're gonna say you're hungry or something like that. This anticipates the final day, where it speaks of the light. In Colossians chapter three, in verse four, if Christ is our light, then we then when he shall appear, then we shall also appear with him. The same glory of the resurrected Christ as the glory of the resurrected church. <laughs> Both got the same treatment. Both get the same treatment. You get the same idea contained in Philippians chapter 3. This vile body of our humiliation should be changed to be made like unto his glorious body. It's the same idea as in, 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 in 1 John chapter 3. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we are called the sons of God. It does not yet appear what shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. Things aren't what they seem to be. The church seems to be battered, mutilated, shut up, and, and, and put on the ground. That's why this book is a blessing to all who reads it. Because you might just be underground. You might be kicked in the mouth, shut up, and you suddenly realize the naos has not even been touched. I am still alive unto God in my heart. They can't touch me. Then he says, when we come to the seventh trumpet, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. It is the third woe. But the announcement is rather old, old as far as the church is concerned because it says that the kingdom of this of the world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The church knew that ever since the resurrection, that, that I mean, that, that is what the church has been trying to tell the world this whole time. That is when the trumpets, what the trumpets have been all about. 
that the a king has been crowned. Worship him. Hello. But the world missed it. Deliberately. By choice. So here is the final announcement of that. While the church is described here as moving into an ecstasy of worship for the world, that's a woe. It's a huge woe. That, that, that is, that is, that is, I mean, we've often heard it said, and, and I trust out of people's ignorance, and if not out of ignorance, it's foolishness. They've said the only hope of the world is the return of Jesus. And I'm sorry, that's rubbish. When Jesus comes, that is the hope of the church, not the hope of the world. The worst thing that could ever happen for the world is that Jesus returns. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And when the world hears what we know, that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, somebody ought to write a song like that. The seventh, oh, please don't say that. This, I'm sorry. <laughs> the seventh trumpet is, is another story that we're going to reserve for another time and how, because of the way it plays in. But let, and again, because it's not chronological, it is principle. They run parallel. We'll talk about that. But let it be understood that the only church, the only church, only the church, all of the church, the naos, the sanctuary, the temple, went into ecstasy of worship. The world collapses in horror of woe, while the church worships in ecstasy. And so what we're doing here is we're coming to the end of the third vision of Revelation, and I trust, I really hope you've seen what its trumpets, its measured sanctuary, its two witnesses, and its seven trumpets mean. Amen? So please begin with Revelation 12 in your studies for next week as we talk about the woman and the beast. I'm looking at Mike, and it's like, that, oh, that describes my marriage. <laughs> whoa, 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 that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike said, the only, where, the only place you can find my marriage in the Bible is in the book of Revelation. Okay, we understand that now. Oh, my goodness. Let me encourage you. That as you have the Holy Spirit show you things through this time, don't just go, wow, I've got some knowledge. I've got some understanding. Wow, man, that just changes things for me. Can I, can I encourage you to worship with that? Worship in that truth. Worship in what he's shown you. Let it be a praise unto him. 
Anytime you go through the Bible, anytime God deals and speaks with you, anytime you're being led by him, I'm not talking about you being perfect. We've talked about that. I'm talking about worshiping him in the spirit of truth. That's what Jesus said. They that worship me will worship me in spirit and truth. Would you stand with me? We will continue this service at Wendy's. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dave's number one, please. <laughs> I don't believe that, you know, you need to pray for me. You really seriously need to pray for me. But Lord, I pray for them at this time and this hour and at this blessing of service and understanding. Fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and understanding. Give us that fresh revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray, open the eyes of our understanding. Let it not be just something, you know, that your word tells us that when we read this, we're going to be blessed. We're going to be excited. We're going to realize that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. There are times that we will be that prophet that speaks on behalf of you. And there will be times that we'll be shut down and the true testimony silenced but we are still your nails nothing changes that no one can touch it I am a child of God thank you Jesus for your truth bless them I pray favor them protect them prosper Increase, keep them safe, impart your health to them, honor them, bless them in their coming ins and their going outs, in all their hand finds to do, bless them with ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. God richly bless